0: Well, welcome, friends. Merry Christmas. We are grateful that you have joined us, Eastside Church, for our Christmas service. And if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Tim, and I'm the minister here at Eastside. And I just want to extend a word of welcome and hospitality and gratitude to you for being being with us in this digital form of worship as we gather and as we experience this this liturgy of story and of song and of art and of devotional reflection together. We hope and we pray that the different elements of this worship service will, will meet you wherever you may find yourself in this strange 2020 season of Christmas. We, we pray that, that all of us will be met by Emmanuel, the God who comes to be with us in Christ, the God who who is with us now. We pray that 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 experience will be real to each and every one of you as you experience this worship service together. And at the end of the worship service, we're going to invite all of you to transition over with us if you would like to, to a Zoom um, to a zoom call where we'll be singing uh, silent night together as a community and lighting the lighting individual candles in each of our screens so if you're watching this service the first time during the premiere immediately following at 5:45 on christmas eve there will be a zoom call well friends with that i'm going to hand the, the screen over to katie who's going to share a little bit about our annual Christmas justice offering, a tradition we've had here at Eastside since the beginning of supporting those beyond ourselves in this time that that we embody and seek to be generous.
1: Hi Eastside, I'm Katie Farmer, Eastside's justice and missions coordinator. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit about our Christmas justice offering. This year, we've set our goal at $15,000 and the gifts will be split among our ministry partners. Tonight, I want to share with you a little bit about our partner, Laganav Haiti Partners. For almost 30 years, Lagunov Haiti Partners has worked with the communities on the Haitian island of Ganav to improve access to healthcare, education, economic opportunity, sanitation, and clean water. Eastside has supported the Laganov partnership for many years and has on several occasions offered opportunities for church members to visit the community and participate in direct in-person mission and ministry. Eastside directly supports one of the 10 communities on the island, Ticolette. Eastside provides funds each year to the Ticolette students' school lunch program. Our Christmas justice offering today is in addition to the school lunch funds and will support the ministries of the partnership to improve access to healthcare, education, economic opportunities, sanitation, and clean water. Additionally, this year's funding also supports the partnership's efforts to make sure residents of Lagunov have access to personal protective equipment during this pandemic. If we hit our goal, then we'll be able to send an end of year gift of $7,500 to the Lagunov partnership. To give today, click Give on our website, which will take you to the Give, G-Y-V-E app. Choose one-time gift, then Christmas justice offering. Thank you for being part of this community and Merry Christmas, friends. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the
2: Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. In Him life was made, and that life was the light of all mankind.
1: That light shines in the darkness, and the
2: darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Word became flesh and lived among us. This is His story. This is His story. This is His story. story. A long, long time ago, in a town called Nazareth, there was a girl named Mary. She was... God. One day, God sent an angel named Gabriel to visit Mary, and he said, Hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Mary was surprised and a little scared. Mary said, Oh, I'm not even married. Mary was supposed to marry a guy named Joseph. She said to him, Look going to have a baby. Joseph was scared and didn't understand. That night as he slept, the angel Gabriel visited Joseph in a dream and said, It's okay Joseph. Don't be afraid. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She'll have a baby boy and you'll name him Jesus. Joseph chose to trust God and to love and support Mary. In another part of the world, there were three magi who loved learning new things. The magi were people who knew so much about so many things that people thought they were magic. Of all things, they knew the most about the stars. One night, they saw a wild star that wasn't on any of their maps. Instead of staying still, the star kept moving. was full of mystery. They felt like the universe was trying to tell them something. So they did something crazy. They left everything they had and decided to follow it. To see where it would lead them and what it could teach them. They had faith to follow and seek a new king. they did after they met baby Jesus.
1: I wonder what our outlook of the Magi would be if it wasn't for Western Christianity telling us that they were men, and instead maybe they were women, or what if we envisioned them as queer folks? What would our approach to the Magi story look like then?
2: I wonder if the Magi had been traveling around looking for other kings.
1: I wonder if anyone experienced the same awe and wonder at watching the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn this past week as the Magi did that night. Did the planets line up 2,000 years ago? Did they allow for the entire world to wonder in amazement at something they couldn't understand? Did the Magi follow it to the beauty of Christ's birth?
0: Our Christian tradition has always had something of a interesting paradoxical relationship with the dark, with nighttime. Something that probably already quickly has become apparent as the children have already read to us the first leg of our nativity journey this evening. Many of us can probably remember a time in our lives, maybe when we were children, when we were afraid of the dark And this shouldn't really be a huge surprise to us that kids are afraid of the dark because the darkness essentially robs us of one of our senses, our capacity to see into the areas around. It creates mystery at the edges of our vision. We can imagine what may be out there in the dark, but we don't know. And that lack of knowledge in a, in a child can, with a, a creati- creativity that's running wild before bed, can, can, can place a monster in the closet or something scary under the bed, keeping them up, bringing anxiety. That unknown can create a sense of dread or of fear, that unknown created by the night. But here's the thing. It, it's, it's easy to, to kind of look at kids and talk about them and maybe their fear of the dark, but even as adults, if we maybe have sort of moved past our literal fear of the lights being turned out or walking walking out in the backyard after the sun has gone down, there's still a metaphorical darkness that most of us, if not all of us, to some extent, struggle with. And it's related in the same way as the The reality of the darkness limits your ability to see. As adults, there's a sense and a kind of knowledge that when we don't have access to it, it creates fear and anxiety within us. Knowledge about the future knowledge of what is around the corner, knowledge of what is tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. I don't know about you, but I love my weather app on my phone because I know if I need to take an umbrella. I know if I need to wear my warmer coat or my cooler coat or layer, since this is Atlanta, and you never know, it may jump 40 degrees in the span of a day. I love knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge allows me to properly and adequately prepare myself and my family for whatever may be coming or whatever I believe or expect to be coming in the future, but 2020, it's it's like done this thing to, to all of us sort of across the globe, sort of shut off our vision of, of what is to come. We, we, we haven't been knowing, like, are the kids going back to school? Are they going to be doing another semester of virtual? What's January going to look like? February, March. Now we've got bringing vaccines and the distribution therein into the whole conversation. And there's just so much that we, we don't know and that we can't predict. And that unknowing, that epistemic lack can create fear in us, can create anxiety in us, can create a sense that we're living in the dark. But it's interesting, because if you study the, the Christian mystics throughout the centuries, these sort of followers of the Christ who have cultivated this awareness of the divine sort of in any and all things, in all places, they don't necessarily need... An experience of God to be mediated by something that's, that's outwardly sacred, but they can walk out into a field. They can go in their backyard and look at a ladybug. They might even be drawn to the early hours of the morning when it's still dark. In fact, a reoccurring theme of the Christian mystics is that they often spend a lot of time alone in the dark. Christianity has this strange paradoxical relationship between light and dark. Sometimes darkness gets used in scripture as a negative, as a metaphor for for sin or for blindness or for um, various sundry negative ideas. At the same time, Christianity also has this this sort of attraction to the dark. Our Bibles begin in the dark. God is in the dark when... The process of creation begins. When God creates the world and brings light into the world, God doesn't banish darkness. God orders it, rightly. We came to to celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th. The the old Julian calendar had, had the winter solstice happening on the 25th. And then when the Gregorian calendar came around, the dates shifted. But we kept Christmas on the 25th because originally it lined up with the solstice. And I think that it's not ironic that we chose to celebrate the birth of the Christ on the darkest day of the year, the year that there's the least amount of sunlight and the longest night. Christianity indeed has had a paradoxical and a fascinating relationship with the dark because one might argue that the dark is a natural way for us human beings who are so easily distracted by this and by that and by everything. But when the lights are out and you're all alone, does that create some space? Does that create a canvas for the divine to begin to do some new artistic work in you? To do some new, mysterious storyline that's emerging under the cover of dark that we may not be privy to, but that may surprise us when God chooses to unveil what God's been working on in the dark.
2: Just before the baby was to be born, Joseph and Mary had to go on a long trip to a town called Bethlehem. Which is where Joseph was from. They needed to be counted for the census. This was a very long way to walk when you're very pregnant. So Mary would take a break and ride on a, on the donkey. It's also hard to ride a donkey when you're very pregnant. So sometimes she would walk Eventually they got there and they tried looking for a place to sleep. But there were so many people that had traveled there that there was no room. Finally, they knocked on another door. And just when the innkeeper was about to tell them it was full, he said, Well, I do have somewhere you can sleep, but I hope you like animals. There was not any bed, but it was warm. When Mary gave birth to baby Jesus, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in the manger, which is where the animals eat out of.
1: I wonder if Mary and Joseph actually did everything by themselves, or if they had a support system such as their family and friends. I wonder if Mary and Joseph were mostly consumed with the feeling of excitement and feeling honored when they found out the news of being pregnant with baby Jesus, or if it was mostly fear and a sense of shame that they carried with them for the beginning part of their journey of being pregnant. I wonder if Mary was really a virgin.
2: If Joseph is returning to Bethlehem, it seems like he would have family to stay with there. I wonder if there was a lot of stigma among those family members to accept in a man with his teenage, pregnant fiancé. I wonder who the innkeeper was. Did he know Joseph? Did he know Mary? Did he feel pity for them? Or did he just feel empathy for this young couple that was about to have a baby?
0: Well, the story that begins in the dead of night with Mary and Joseph receiving these visions from the angel Gabriel on behalf of God and our magi who are quite literally out in the middle of the night staring at the night sky when they see the strange star that draws them toward Israel. This story, it doesn't get any any brighter or any lighter any time quickly. It actually stays pretty intense and the challenge remains pretty challenging. As we read on, as we just heard from the children, we're told that that the Mary and Joseph are faced with the requirement to go on an intense journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem because the, the Roman Empire has decided that they want account of the people. They want also to do a census like we've done this year, and they want it to be of the entire Roman world, all the, the areas that they occupy. But they have this one little annoying rule that all of the men have to return to the to the h- town in which they were born. And Again, not sure why that couldn't have just been like a checkbox on the census form in the first century, but for some reason they 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 required all the men to return. And in the story, we see that for some reason Joseph brings Mary, and I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, but you know I I get the sense she was probably a little bit into her third trimester at this point, and. I don't, I don't know, but I certainly would love to know why not see if Mary could stay over with her mother while Joseph does the trek to Bethlehem for the census. The baby hasn't been born yet. They're still engaged at this point. Why does Mary have to come? Wouldn't there have been a way to to allow for an exception for a a pregnant woman in that situation, which begs the question, is it possible that because it was such a faux pas, such a shame-based culture, Joseph and Mary's situation with Mary being in the third trimester of pregnancy, perhaps their parents really have pushed them away and created a, a lot of space and alienation between them and Joseph and Mary. Perhaps Joseph's parents had wanted him to divorce her, and he chose not to, but to stay with her. Perhaps Mary's parents are not allowing her to participate in their home life. Maybe, maybe Joseph had to go to this census because Rome was requiring it, and possibly Mary had to go with him because she didn't have any place else to go, which is really sad. And it takes what is an already challenging story of two young people handing over their future at the request of God to bring this good news, this this good work into the world, but it seems like they really can't catch a break, right? A 90-mile journey on a pack mule, probably Mary's on the mule most of the time, Joseph walking alongside. Who knows what the weather was like? Who knows how safe it is to travel in this way? Were they a part of a caravan? Were they alone? Did anybody want them to be a part of their caravan? No, I I want us to see that this story doesn't just get light and easy. It remains in the dark. It remains challenging. It gets harder and harder. Joseph and Mary, this next chapter, they're still in the dark traveling to Bethlehem together. And, and we'd think that they would get to Bethlehem and by that time, the story would shift, right? But as you all know, it doesn't. They get there and they discover that there is no room for them in any of the rentable rooms. Everything's taken. And I've wondered on the side, like had, had rumors gotten out about about Joseph and Mary and were people in Bethlehem just refusing them or were all the rooms really taken because they just got there last? I don't know, I don't know. But the Christmas story, it begins in the paradox of the dark with God meeting this young couple, with God meeting the Magi on a hill a star with a message of a a mission of good news and it continues in the dark on this journey to Bethlehem thanks be to God we are told that ultimately they are given a a, a dry place They're, they're allowed by one of the innkeepers to stay where they lodge the pack mules and the animals from the travelers so they stay in a essentially a a shack for for people's animals while they sleep inside. And this young couple, is it just me or are they being forced to grow up really quickly as they decide to continue to say yes to this remarkably challenging story of, of their role of God's redemptive plan for the world? So far, it hasn't really been fun. It's been really hard. And I think that's a good word for us at the end of 2020 to keep in mind, because a lot of us, a lot of you all, you may be tired by now. This pandemic has you worn out. You're doing good work, but you can't catch a break. Whether you're in the medical field, whether you're in the ministry, whether you're in the secular world practicing law or trying to run a small business or run a restaurant for peace sake, you're trying to do good work but you can't seem to catch a break, it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Joseph and Mary were doing what they were supposed to be doing and they still were not catching a break. But it didn't mean God was mad at them and it didn't mean that they were doing anything wrong. And sometimes, this is part of the mystery of the dark, sometimes the challenges are just there. And we don't have good words for it. We don't have good reasons to point to. And our planet is kind of collectively in one of these places right now. And I hope that we can see that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem and the next chapter in a stable and we can take a little bit of hope that even though it feels like we keep getting no's and we can't seem to catch a break, Emmanuel is real and is true, and God is indeed with us, God is with you, even now.
2: No one knew about Jesus yet. But there were some shepherds just outside of the town keeping watch over their sheep at night. The angel came to them, and they were so scared. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for everyone. You will find baby Jesus wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. So the shepherds hurried off to find baby Jesus. Mary welcomed them in and told her everything the angels had said. Mary treasured this all in her heart. The shepherds returned, praising God for everything they had seen and heard. I wonder what the shepherds were thinking when the angels appeared to them with a special message. I wonder if Jesus hung And you need someone else
1: to sleep. I wonder, where might you see yourself in this story? What speaks to you today in this year?
0: Well, by now, friends, we shouldn't be surprised that our story continues with, yet again, a scene in the night where the divine shows up. And unlike Mary and Joseph's experiences with angel Gabriel, we're told that these shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night, that these are are people who are intentionally awake, right, when the rest of the world is intentionally asleep. And an angel from God presents to these shepherds a, a message, a word to these night watchmen. Only this time, unlike for Mary and Joseph, it's not a word of a pregnancy, of a conception, it's, it's a proclamation. The, the angel is proclaiming that something has happened to these shepherds and thus they should respond in a certain way, which kind of gives us a, a small window into the question why shepherds? Why shepherds? Why invite this this group of relatively lower in the societal sort of caste of people who, if we're honest, they probably smelled somewhat like the sheep to which they tended. They lived out in the hills. And it's possible that there's a connection here with the shepherds and the fact that the Messiah was to be born in the city of David. And if you remember the history of King David, before he was king, he was a shepherd. So there could be some connection to having shepherds be the first to, to come and to worship the Christ child. But I, I'm i not totally convinced of that theory. I'm not sure that that is why the angel goes to to visit with and to make the proclamation to these people. I wonder if it isn't as simple as the fact that that it's the middle of the night in Bethlehem and everyone is asleep except for these shepherds who were the night watchmen who were keeping, keeping an eye on their sheep throughout the night. It's almost as though God recognizes the reality that there needs to be some witness to this royal birth And Mary and Joseph, they can't be completely alone in this this time. And and God notices that there's a group of shepherds tending to their sheep in the middle of the night, and they're awake. They'll do, right? I mean, the whole thing's going to happen in a stable, so we already know they're comfortable around animals. They may blend in with the smells already, so... Could it mean, then, that the shepherds were chosen by God to be sort of, sort of Jesus' first gathering congregation around his ministry, not because of, of anything unique or special that they did or didn't do, but basically because of proximity and the fact that they were awake? The fact that they were maybe the only people awake within walking distance of what was taking place. And I I, I hadn't caught this in the past, but as I studied the text this year, it it did occur to me too that the the story begins with a single angel interacting with the shepherds, making the proclamation that that Christ has been born and inviting the shepherds to come and to worship and to experience this. And, And then, after that first angelic interaction, we're told that a whole host of angels come and begin proclaiming and singing and this sort of majestic, angelic vision, which I just wonder if the the first angel just wasn't getting it done. And the shepherds were just kind of like, meh, we're good. Thanks for the invitation, though. And after which they were sort of completely terrified and terrorized by the massive angelic song that, that came at them. Or it could just be that the, the one angel couldn't get the sheep to wake up and they needed more power and voice. But regardless, I'm not convinced that the shepherds weren't chosen because of proximity and because they're awake and available. And they really didn't have anything better to be doing in those moments. And it seems to me that sometimes we build up all sorts of, of I don't know accolades or or ideas around people that God uses in the world to accomplish things. But if but if you really look at the sort of everyday people doing the work of the kingdom, I'm not convinced that it has a whole lot to do with. The, the overwhelming sort of natural giftedness of this individual or that group, as much as it does with. Are, are you a human? And are you willing? We will listen. And when you hear, will you respond? And will you do? And ultimately, the shepherds, they did listen. And ultimately, they went and they worshiped the new king. And it just makes me wonder how many of us are sitting back and sort of not getting invested in one of the storylines of God's kingdom entering our world just because we we don't we look at ourselves and we see ourselves maybe, maybe in light of the shepherds. Like I I am not, there's nothing super special about me. I'm not uber talented. I, I don't know how or where I would fit. And The God that I see revealed in the Gospels and throughout Scripture is a God who says, Are you a human? Are you willing? Will you say yes? Then I have a role for you and I have a place for you. There's not a single willing human on this planet who God will not find a place for.
2: As the Magi met people on their journey, they told them of their search for a new king. Some were excited, some were afraid. But the Magi continued to follow the star a long way. A really, really long way. A really, 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 really long ways. Until finally, it stopped where the child, a king was born. As the Magi arrived at the stable, they saw baby Jesus with his mother and worshipped him, giving him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Everyone was filled with hope and wonder. That was the best night ever. It was the best night ever. It was the best night ever. It was the best night. Ever. Go.
0: And finally it seems as though the story begins to turn a page. It seems as though dawn may be arising for for Joseph, for Mary, for Jesus as the Magi arrive and present the Christ child with The gifts that recognize his kingship, ironically, from those who are so far outside of their culture, their religion, their nation, who, who found them via the stars and came properly prepared with the right gifts for a king that was born that they did not know. And you talk about walking in the dark. It's a pretty awesome story. The Magi, they come and they worship the Christ, the King. And we're told then that the Magi are, are encountered by, by the, the, the angelic messenger. And they're told not to go back to King Herod. If you, if, if you remember in the story, they first go to Jerusalem and... Herod where the new king is and then they ultimately find out that Bethlehem is the place and they're warned not to go back because Herod has the intent to, to destroy and to stamp out any competition that he may have for the throne. And thanks be to God, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they're able to escape and they leave on their flight to Egypt. But But I thought that I thought that we had finally arrived and we're turning a page, right? I thought that dawn was coming and and the happily ever after music was about to start playing. And now Mary and Joseph and Jesus are refugees in Egypt. And we're told that the Magi, they take a different path because they don't want to be tracked. They don't want to be found by by, um, Herod or his posse. So the Magi go a different way as well, which means that at the sort of end of this journey, we see God unfolding two new trajectories for these, these groups of humans as they have, have walked step after step, not knowing what was next, but God continues to meet them and show them the next right thing to do, then the next right thing to do, and then the next. And here's the thing. I want a a giant floodlight to shine out. I want to see all the plans and see what I need to do. And it's as though God hands us a candle and a little thing of matches and gives us just enough light to do the next right thing. Because God wants us to trust, to lean into Emmanuel, to the presence of our creator, of our maker, right here, right now, walking beside us, walking with us, speaking to us, and speaking through us. God is always at work, my friends, writing multiple storylines, some under the cover of dark that we don't even know are over there. And some storylines are a chapter ending here, whereas a new chapter's beginning, and, and others are in this spot and, and over here. And they're all happening throughout our planet in different people's lives. And they're happening in the trajectory, in the array of, of possibilities in front of your life. We're not that different from these characters. That's the whole thing about the everyday mystic it brings down this this mystifying idea of the mystic into the ordinary everyday of our lives and the everyday mystic has a very simple goal in mind and it is to embody embody the the baseline reality that the Christ that the Christ entered our world to bring about and that my friends is the transformation of the human heart y'all we 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 humans on this planet, we struggle with narcissism. We struggle with self-preservation. We struggle with putting our own interests and our own wants above the needs of other people on this planet. And that is precisely what the Christ came to shift in us to make us to be a people who think less about ourselves and more about the rest of the humans to help us make that shift from from me to to we to to all of us christ was was speaking this this message of ultimate ultimately bringing unification and unity between god and humanity and Humanity in one another. And that's why when Jesus gets asked by the teacher of the law, Teacher Jesus, what's the most important of all the commandments? Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like like it, indirectly connected to it, love your neighbor as yourself. The everyday mystic, they're not obsessed with like some some piety, some religion for religion's sake. No. There's a deep and a, and a rudimentary desire to, to cultivate an inward life that is, is a channel, is, is, a, is an arena where the love of God can flow in and thus flow out into the world. That, that's what it's all about. It's about us being transformed from the inside out so that... We can do what Christ did and help by our, by our lived existence to transform and to impact and to love those humans within our proximity. And then they can love the humans within their proximity. Friends, it's been good to be with you. And in a minute, I'm going to offer something of a closing prayer benediction combination. But before I do that, I just want to make sure you know that you're invited to join us directly after this worship service for a Zoom call. The, The link should be in the comments section of the YouTube feed. And that Zoom call is going to be an opportunity for all the different screens of all the different people and families who are experiencing this premiere tonight to light a candle or light candles with their family on screen as we as the East Side community show what this, this proximity looks like. It's, it's this beautiful thing that the ancient Christians were, were, were seeking to celebrate Christmas on, on the winter solstice, the, the shortest day and the longest night, because it creates this beautiful canvas and backdrop for the light of Christ coming into our world, and then And then that proximity of Jesus and his disciples and then this next ring that they impact and this ring after that. And and we light our candles traditionally in the sanctuary and watch the light travel around. And tonight we're going to see that on Zoom as we sing Silent Night. So whether or not you're a first-time guest or just, just here with us because you found this and you wanted a Christmas Eve service, we would love for you to join us. And to all of our members and veterans, we hope to see you there. Friends, now I I, I pray that the God of courage, the God of strength, the God of peace, the God of hope would go with you, and that you, as you finish out this year and you begin to dream and hope for what 2021 could be, that you take to heart this, this idea that God is always writing stories in our world with people just like you. And there's always a chapter ending over here when Something starting over here in the dark that we don't even know about and then there's a story here and here and here where they're, they're midway through and, and there's always so many opportunities and arrays and ways that you can jump in and participate. No one is excluded from the kingdom of God's entrance into our world. God is seeking willing people. But if you, you enter into it and you're listening and you're willing, God will put you to work and something beautiful will Birthed. So may it be so. In the name of God our Maker, God our Redeemer, God our Sustainer. Amen and amen. Go in peace and Merry Christmas.